0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Thanks so much for joining the conversation today. We're in the middle of a series titled Go Home, Finding Our Way, and each of these conversations is looking at common assumptions regarding the home and its proper place in the life of both men and women and in relation to the church and the world and all of that. So if you've been listening, you'll remember that all of this started with a mandate. Hannah, we had a mandate that came up back in October, and it was real simple, just two words, go home. And it it kind of set off a firestorm of discussion. And then that is what kind of motivated us to to form some thoughts about home and church and family and, and produce this series.
1: Absolutely. And I was thinking that maybe we were stirring the pot, like maybe we should just let this conversation die down. But even in the last few weeks, I've seen other people online still talking about it. And I think the reason that we can't get away from this conversation is because there are so many questions underneath those two words. And it it kind of triggers us or pokes people, not because in and of itself, these two words go home are bad or wrong or anything, but because we don't know where we're going and we don't know who we're going with or, or to whom we are to go. And, and I think a lot of these unanswered questions are what make for some of the conflict around this conversation.
0: Oh, definitely. I I think you've you've hit it right there. There's there's conflict in it, not necessarily because I think anyone wants to be necessarily like in the midst of controversy, but it's more like a sense of oh, now I don't quite know what this means, and I feel conflicted. Like I feel like I'm trying to sort it out, and um, all along, what I've been thinking through in our conversation is that devoid of specifics because we are meaning making creatures we are trying to make meaning out of what do these things really stand for and so we've talked this through now on a couple different fronts and our conversation today we're gonna dig in a little bit more Um, we have a good conversation queued up for all you listeners out there and we're excited to to give you another angle so that we can sort out these these mysteries that we have in front of us.
1: And I think you're really right to bring up that point about specifics, because what happens in the absence of good principles our good, robust answers to these deeper questions is we end up just applying the specifics of our own lives. We're, we're self-validating creatures, right? So whatever we are currently doing becomes the specifics that we think other people should be doing. And I think, like you said, the conflict is emerging maybe from that lack of specificity, but also from... This lack of deeper principle and and deeper vision for what's happening behind home. Um, And and it all relates to the church and to society and our interpersonal relationships. And it, it can't be this kind of hermetically sealed space that doesn't engage with every other area of human existence. And I think perhaps that was what kind of threw me off guard first about go home, um, because this conversation emerged from a church context, an ecclesiastical context, and it almost suggested that home was someplace other than the church for Christians. Yes.
0: like these are two separate spheres, and they don't overlap. They don't overlap. They they have one sphere for women and one sphere for men, and and there it's very specific and defined where you belong it is
1: the gender question yeah i think you're right to point that out but i think for me it was even deeper than that that it seemed to assume that home was something different than the church that that these two things were not the same and that was curious to me because i've heard a lot of familial language about the church right we sing about the house the family of God. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. Or the scripture, or the New Testament talks about the household of God. So the fact that some people are operating in this space, I'm trying to understand what exactly do you mean go home? If I'm a Christian, the church is my home.
0: Hmm. Yes. So, so if the church is not your home and you are to go home, that almost implies that you are a guest in the household of God. You don't belong there. You're not home there.
1: Or that these two things are completely separate from each other. And there's there's some kind of ranking here that's happening. Like they've been divided from each other. And so I was really puzzling about that over the last week or so in preparation for this episode, knowing we were going to kind of pull this thread. And I began to wonder if it wasn't just that the home was separate from the church but that we have a vision of church that sees the church of made up of biological family units so when we conceptualize the church we don't first think of the family of god but we think of the church as an organization that is comprised of individual biological units that come together maybe for this religious experience, but when you talk about family, everybody knows that that's code for biological family, not for the family of
0: God. The family of God. And this is a good point, because we've talked about this in our previous episodes about who is it that's within our family. And family, um, when it is narrowly defined as nuclear family, it does tend to scooch people to the outside. And so what you're saying then is this broader picture of the church being the family. Do we understand that relational connection that we have with the body as the whole?
1: Right. And I think there is a tension here, and I don't want to downplay the reality and the necessity of the biological family. Um, But I wonder if we're missing the point of all of this. So I wonder if family is something that is greater and more mysterious than we realize this concept of home and community and being bonded to each other in ways that are deep and whether biological family is one reflection of that and one entry point and church family is also, um, an entry point for that an access point as well i don't know if that makes sense but what i'm kind of wrestling with is i feel like we have the tendency to make the biological family the real thing and then the church becomes subject to that in some ways that what we're really doing when we have church is just collecting biological households rather than the church functioning itself as a household or a home or a community of faith, of the children of God. So I I wonder about that tension, if that's maybe what's underneath this kind of assumption of go home, like you need to go home to your biological family, that that's the subtext.
0: I think you're right there. And uh, as you set this up as looking at the deeper things the deeper mystery i think that it is key to to consider that because it is easiest just to take it on the surface and so what if we did look at it like this what if we did consider that there's more to this and it would allow us in many ways to have a deeper experience within the body within our church, because we would understand a bit better what are those connections and ties and what does that mean for us as we are the the body of Christ as a whole. So I think you're right to pull on that a little bit and to poke on it a little bit, even though um, I want to do that, like you said, with the caution that we're not saying that your biological family doesn't matter or that it's not valuable because it is. It's just that what if there's more to this and um, if we're missing something there, we might be able to learn something and apply it a little bit better and um, gain an experience with our brothers and sisters in Christ that would help us as we walk this out.
1: Right, because I think there is a great risk here. I think the risk of conceptualizing family or home as only biological um obviously you run the risk of cutting out people who are not in nuclear biological families um people who are called to singleness people who even childlessness is um then becomes a second class ranking within a church that's formulated for biological families so if you're um Mindset: If your constructive church is that it is a collection of biological families rather than a spiritual family, if it is a collection of biological families, then um, to fully integrate into the church then is dependent on your ability to bring an intact nuclear biological family with you. Like that's your ticket in. (laughs)
0: And I think this is why, uh, as a personal note, that's why I have often felt a little bit on the fringe, because as I've mentioned, um, Mike and I don't have children. And it has been not so subtly implied that we are in rebellion for not finding a way to have children in our home. And so I think what you say there as it's your ticket to say that you're on the inside, I think I have felt that way. And now we're old enough in it. And it's, you know, we've processed enough of it. Mike and I are okay with where we're at. And I don't feel as sore or as uh, sensitive to that implication. But I know there are other women who feel that way. And so um, I want to acknowledge that there is this sense of you are on the outs because you haven't adhered to what the family needs to look like. Right. So it's a ticket. It's a membership qualification
1: to fully integrate into the church if we have this vision of the church as a set of biological families. Um, But beyond that, I think we risk losing a vision of what the church actually is. So um, you can potentially be left on the margins, kept on the outside, but we also miss the goal of what we're supposed to be doing in the community of faith. And so you would miss that kind of life together, that, that, familiar safety, that kind of bondedness, that kind of one for all, all for one approach that we've talked about um, as the the work of home. And I was thinking about this particularly in respect, um, ironically enough, to the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote very richly and beautifully and very theologically about the kind of vision for the church and the kind of life in community that would be reflecting the family of God. And I think one of the things that's fascinating about Bonhoeffer's work is that it emerged in a a cultural context that actually looked like it was honoring the family, right? So if listeners know, Bonhoeffer um, emerged through the 1920s, 1930s, into um, the 1940s in Germany. And this was the same time um, that Nazism was on the rise. And what we don't necessarily associate with that, because I think perhaps our minds run immediately to Hitler and the um, Holocaust and all the horrors and atrocities um, that we now know happened then. But part and parcel with that ideology was this idolization of biological family in terms of DNA and passing along certain lineage and the fatherland and the celebration of this kind of linking through biology. And if you didn't have that link, you were not part of the community. So uh, it's really, really remarkable that Bonhoeffer's ideas emerged in context of that tension.
0: For him to be able to um, see the the distinct difference between what family is and is not within that context, I feel like we can learn a lot from him in that. Um, and, And obviously, we are not in implying that this is the same, um, you know, backdrop that we're talking about today. But these sorts of um, points in time give us that intensive look into things as maybe they should be, um, things as they are, and maybe things as they should be. So I think this is great to talk through what he has set up and what he has been, um, what he was writing about and proposing. And one of the
1: beautiful things about Bonhoeffer's work is he didn't just write about it he lived it and one of the ways he experimented with this idea of church as household or church as family um was in kind of resistance work with an alternative church network the the german church had been essentially aligned with nazism and he was part of this kind of resistance underground church movement and um really developed within that, this whole experiment of training pastors in a seminary that was more like a household than an academic institution. And um, I had the chance uh, recently to talk with Laura Fabriki who is um, a writer And has a book coming out this next month um, called Keys to Bonhoeffer's House. And what's fascinating about Laura's experience is she actually was a tour guide at Bonhoeffer's House in um, Berlin, Germany. And she had a lot of really fascinating things to share with me about his mindset toward life together, how he worked that out in um, the seminary setting, and also how
2: he himself had been shaped. So um this the seminary was formed by the um what we call what American um sort of readers of Bonhoeffer would colloquially call the the confessing church but it was the it was the portion of the German church that pushed back against sort of the Nazi In some ways it was a takeover, but in some ways it was also like an embrace of the church to to Nazi ideology and particularly to the Fuhrer and his, so this would be Adolf Hitler, the leader and sort of the chief discipler of of Germany in that time. And um, Dietrich had left Germany when basically that kind of the overwhelm of the Nazi, um, basically the Nazi success in the church um, had taken, taken over its life. And then, but he was invited back um, by um, a a segment of the confessing church to start a seminary. And Dietrich had already had some ideas, and I should say that some of his ideas really were informed by um, cross-cultural experience of his. So, going back to your point about how much our cultural lens um, really guides us, and and it can be kind of it can be too myopic. Dietrich had very formative experiences cross-culturally first in a trip to Rome when he was a young adult. And then that that trip in experiencing particularly Roman Catholicism informed a lot of his academic thought. Um, he wrote his dissertation. He was really captivated by um, by the Roman Catholicism that he experienced in Rome. And I think for him, he had to taste a much bigger picture of what the household of God was. And he couldn't, he would not have been able to see that from where he was being raised in in Germany. Um, And not only that, but then prior to him coming back to to Germany after being in the United Kingdom or in Great Britain, um, he he actually visited some other faith communities, so Anglican communities, Presbyterian. Um, He was formed by and saw and witnessed and thought a lot about um, how to actually form form Christian community, and he really did settle on a much more embodied expression of that, forming a home. So he did. He participated, obviously, in doing education for these seminarians that really had absolutely no security ahead of them by affiliating with the confessing church, uh, as opposed to uh, being under the Reichskirche or the church in Nazi Germany, um, and I think. Of all of the robust formation that he received growing up, Um, he also added to that, uh, I think, a sense of sort of the wider household of God um, that this and that this household exists um, both robustly embodied, but then also way beyond the bounds of our culture and our particular nation. And so not everyone was thrilled with Bonhoeffer's ideas. Um, in fact, there were people in, there were leaders in the confessing church that actually were a little worried about some of his experiments, but um, those experiments proved to be incredibly important for most of these men, as it were as all men. Um, they they learned how to be pastors no matter where they were. Um, so whether that was in prison or it was on a battlefield, they they had been formed deeply in... Um, disciplines of prayer and um and congregational singing and in um confession like you can read about a lot of it in his book life together and i think what we get from life together is he he often will say we cannot take for granted that we will have that we will have christian companionship and so we need to um we need to see it for what it is which is participation in the body of christ and um and we need to cherish what's there. And, and some of that kind of cherishing will, will necessarily break some of the potential idols, frankly, of our culture and our nation. Um, they have to become proximate to, to that ultimate vision. So um, yeah, I think he put, he put a lot of um, his, obviously his own personal imprint on, on how he shaped that, that kind of household of God experiment with the house of the brethren. But um but it also was very much informed by by his cross cultural experiences and even the cross confessional experiences like cross denominational and cross confessional like really seeing the household of God from a very big very ecumenical experience
0: Well, Hannah, I really appreciated um, what Laura was explaining there about the formation and discipleship within community. There was such a strong sense of that in uh, Bonhoeffer's life, and... um, it, it feels inclusive. It feels like it's um, pulling people into the day-to-day of what does it mean to be in life together. Um, there were so many good things there that she mentioned. I thought it was really interesting how she said this went beyond current culture and beyond um, current denomination, almost like it was pulling from a global sense of global cultural and global church Um and it, it feels um, very broad and wide and not overly influenced by any one particular um, focus in life. Yeah, and the thing that struck
1: me about that, if we're taking the metaphor of family, is I know a, a kind of global approach to the faith or an ecumenical approach can feel a little too loosey-goosey, right? Mm, Right, right. (laughs) And even in raising my kids, I've, I've tried to explain the various approaches and various church traditions and what we can learn and what we can't. And what's fascinating to me is with them, I have tried to use the language of household and home. And I say, well, you know, that's house rules for them. And they do things that way within their own denomination and within their own practice. And there are different emphasis. And yet, this is an extended family. So there is still this concept, even within the Christian church, that we're all kind of like cousins, you know? Right, right. At the, and at sometimes the reach, you have the quirky cousins, yeah, right? <laughs> and and you can disagree. And, and you can, in your convictional status, say, no this is the way we're going to do it in our household. This is the way we're going to do it within our denominational tradition. But you still have this family tree of the Christian faith. And I, and I really appreciated um, Laura bringing that forward with that sense of learning from other households, learning how to do things slightly differently because you've been in someone else's home. But I also think that openness, um, is reflected in Bonhoeffer's own upbringing. And I had a chance to talk with Laura about that, that he didn't just emerge with this idea of household and home, right? He had to have that shaped in him in some way too. And Laura shared with me that a lot of this really came from his own upbringing and the way his mother shaped his biological family, ironically enough. Because I think for, um, at least as an American um, in this moment, if we know Bonhoeffer's name, we likely strongly associate it with his resistance work um, against Nazi Germany, the the plot against Hitler, his eventual martyrdom. And so we tend to see him as this larger than life figure, right? This, this um dramatic person who's doing these highly um courageous things, and yet it, to be to be fair it, so much of his life was not that um and so much of what um as you said what formed him and what brought him to that point had were was much more um domestic. Um, perhaps, and his vision even of the household and community and his own experience of it um, maybe eventually led to that high drama at the end of his life. But there was so much formation and so much consideration of much simpler things.
2: Definitely. And that to me is what the house Represented and definitely the the Germans that I learned from, who were all accomplished Bonhoeffer scholars and theologians and pastors in their own right, they helped me to kind of pull my very kind of singularly trained spotlight away from that kind of lone hero of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and to see him really as a as belonging to other people um, and probably the folks who are listening in on this conversation um, may be aware that he was the sixth of eight children. So he came from a really big household and um, that household had a culture and um, it was a very interesting culture and very deeply formed in what we would describe as sort of classically humanist traditions of learning, um, valuing education and exploration um, valuing knowledge, whether it's coming from what we would describe as a Christian source or a so-called secular source, but like recognizing truth where it exists. Um, and the, the two people that really shaped that culture were his parents, um, Dr. Carl and Paula or Paula, as we would say in American English, Paula Bonhoeffer. And they could not have been more different in terms of their, um, their own backgrounds and formation. I think, um, his dad was not especially religious. It was his mom that was quite pious. But she had very strong opinions about how her children were to be educated. She herself was um, had a teaching certificate, which at the time was really unusual for women, um, and particularly women of her station, because she had some aristocratic background. And, and she also tended very much... Um, a very convivial and vibrant and what is best described as a porous house culture. Like she, their house, it seemed to just be nonstop, like salons and um, parties. And um, and she had absolutely no time for pretension and kind of like all the false self that comes with um, you know, what we would describe often in like upper class cultures, very educated cultures. She she definitely swept people in. So Dietrich was raised with like a lot of music and he was raised with sort of drawing people in and trying to engage people where they were. And you see that then show up later on as he kind of experimented with another form of household in in the illegal seminary that started in Zynkst on the Baltic coast and then moved to Finkenwalde, which is now in, in Poland. Um, I think a lot of the sort of, it's a, it's an imperfect word, but the sort of the liturgies of his growing up, his household, I think drew on a lot of the way that he actually shaped the life of what he called the house of the brethren, this intentional community, educational community, but also lived community of, of, of Christian life. So it was full of music and, um, and, and also like sports and like just basically what we describe as a very whole person approach to the Christian life. And I think that's very much related to his, the, his, the, his mother's um, influence in his life. And of course, his father um, really did not share um, this kind of faith, but he respected it. And um, but he also and he taught Bonhoeffer a lot of the sort of I think the intellectual virtues that we see in his life economy and precision of language and um, sort of the strengths that we see that show up in Bonhoeffer the academic we see a lot of that that coming from his father.
1: Well, Laura, I just want to say thanks again for taking time to talk with us today. And listeners, um, I want to encourage you to look for Laura's book, Keys to Bonhoeffer's House, which is releasing um, in March.
0: Well, to me, Hannah, the the description of Bonhoeffer's growing up and, and the way his family operated, it just sounds... Um, super idyllic and, and lovely. I mean, it sounds great. It sounds like his parents both were investing in their family life and um, and in the home. And I loved that we could see both sides, what his mother did, what his father did, and how they were both partnering in the development of the home. But their home was also the the outpouring of their faith and how they were bringing people in because of that faith. Really interesting. I think as
1: well, what Laura shared underscores the point we were trying to wrestle through at the beginning was the relationship between the biological family and spiritual family. And the biological family is important, It's not like you grow up in a vacuum or you live in a vacuum. So I think what I have learned from Bonhoeffer's story and from what Laura has shared is that there is this role for the biological home to shape us and to form us and give us um, the sensibilities of welcome and care and nurture and the physical embodiment of certain truths that will also be displayed and revealed in our spiritual relationships within the household and the family of God. And I think that that just, to me, testifies to the reality that family or home is something larger than either one of those, that there is something beyond the biological family but when we think of the spiritual family or the household of God, that also can't just be out there floating without <laughs> any true embodiment or understanding of this concept of family, that there is something real and deep and true beyond both of these. And we access that deeper, realer, hidden thing um, through these lives that we've been called to.
0: Mm-hmm. And I like this tie back to um, trying to make meaning and, and also knowing there is mystery. So it is both. It is both that we are in the midst of mis- mystery and not quite understanding it, and yet we are trying to make meaning out of it. We are trying to make sense of how are we both biologically connected to our family in our own homes. Also, we are part of the family of God, the household of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. What what does that mean? Well, that is the mystery, and yet it's beautiful, and the way that we approach that will be enhanced by how we think of it in our own families, in our upbringings. How, how we were raised, how we then raise our own kids, what are our own house rules, um, we have, whether that's in the home or in the church. All of these things tie together and create um, a, an atmosphere for us to to experience family in the household of God.
1: And I think if there's a passage of Scripture that really captures this tension for me, it's an account in the Gospels. Um, this particular account I'm thinking of is in Mark chapter three, where Christ is out teaching um, the crowds, and his mother and his brothers come to him, and they're standing kind of on the fringes of the crowd, and someone send they send someone to go get Jesus to mm-hmm. go, to go home, basically. <laughs>
0: We are not alone. Jesus has also received the mandate, go home,
1: to go home. (laughs) And this is what the scripture says. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So basically, go home. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers See, Jesus asked deep existential questions, just like we do on Persuasion. So it's okay to ask the questions. (laughs) And stretching out his hand, he answered them and said, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And another passage says, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And what I find in that tension there is that he doesn't do away with the category of mother and brother and sister. He doesn't say that's unimportant. Those types of relationships are unimportant. And he doesn't say we're all just in common, you know, we're all citizens or we're all somehow isolated individuals who are just walking parallel paths. He maintains the category of family. He maintains the category of mother and brother, but he expands it. And it's very similar to what he does in the Sermon on the Mount, where he has this paradigm of saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And so I think in this case, it would be, you have heard it said that family means biological family. But I say unto you, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so there is this mystery within this space where it's not that we do away with or we don't understand the significance of our biological nuclear family or the homes we exist in. Um, even if we exist in a home in relationship with um, our extended family, if we're living with our parents, we're living with brothers and sisters, we're living, um, you know, in context of non-Mormon traditional spaces, but that there is this thing, this mystery beyond all of it. Right,
0: right. And, and to acknowledge that it's there... And to consider who are my brother, my mother, my brothers, um, my sisters, and and to really live and press into that, Um, I think that that is an excellent way for us to process this um, this these concepts of home church, household of God, I think this is um, really helpful. So Hannah, I'm so glad that you were able to talk with Laura and um, bring some of Bonhoeffer's life to this conversation. We'll make sure that we get all of the information for Laura and some of these resources for Bonhoeffer. We'll put all that into the show notes so that everyone can catch up with her there.
1: And as always, we invite you to join us um, in the conversation. Share with us your experience of the tension between biological family and church family. You can connect with us at Persuasion CAPC on Twitter, or if you are part of the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, you can chat with us there. And just because we love our Christ and Pop Culture members Forum members so much, we are going to give you access to the entire interview um, with Laura where she shares more about Bonhoeffer and her own life um, in the diplomatic service and how she has seen the family of God um, embrace her around the world and the various places that God has taken her
0: family. We want to give thanks to Jonathan Klaassen. He's our producer for Persuasion and for all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture podcast network. You can give all those a listen at, at Christandpopculture.com. You can go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture. All the shows will just pop up there for you to listen to. And we thank you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at Christandpopculture.com/slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?